This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I'm going to carry on with the Vintage series. For those of you who've been around, uh, we've been doing it for a few weeks. If you're new here, we're in the midst of a series called Vintage. And basically, it's, uh, it's to go back to some fundamental biblical values to live in a culture today that's strayed so far away from uh, just, if I can call them normal, <laughs> don't throw tomatoes at me now, uh, but normal values. And we've come very far away from that. And uh, things that were considered normal just a generation ago have now uh, started to be viewed as outdated and old-fashioned, archaic, and sometimes even intolerant. But I'm going to jump right into, uh, I want to just redefine uh, vintage, what that means to you. We have it on the screen. It says something characterized by excellence, maturity, and enduring appeal, something that's classic of lasting interest and importance. And so this series is uh, meant to bring us back to some of those core values that God, that is in God's heart, and he wants them to be in our heart as well. And so I have to say, Cameron asked me uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, if I would do this particular message. And I have to say, I'm, I was really excited. Uh, it's one of my favorite topics. I would consider myself very good at it. Um, I think, actually, a few, uh, few years ago, some of you may not know this, but I wrote an article that made it to uh, Charisma magazine. And after that, I've, been, I've just had lots of people contact me from not just North America, but all over the world, because I'm... I, I really am an expert at this subject. I'm very good. So if you're here this morning, um, don't laugh, Karen. <laughs> Stop it. I was supposed to do this with a straight face. So, so consider yourself blessed to listen to such a great message. Can I give you the topic? Humility. <laughs> Karen, you got me laughing. I was supposed to keep a straight face. Uh, for those of you who are new, I'm really not like that. Please trust me when I say that. Um, we're like, he, camera's like, you should do it. I'm like, I so can't do that. Anyhow, no, I'm going to talk today about humility. I'm just going to start by defining it this morning. It says, humility is really the quality or state of not thinking you're better than other people or being humble. It also means a modest or low view of one's own importance, seeing yourself with the right perspective. It also means a lowliness of heart, not arrogant or boastful, ready to serve and teachable. It is one of the most important Christian values that we can emulate because it's in the direct opposite of one of the most fundamental root sins, which is the sin of pride. And, and how many of you know that pride is plaguing our culture today? How many of you would agree? Husbands, stop nudging your wives. Come on. <laughs> Come on. No. Uh, but it's, pride is very uh, rampant in our culture today. And if I can say this, if we can truly have a perspective of God's view of humility, then I will say this, we would have more grace on even people that walk in pride. Because do you know that for the most part, in almost everyone, where pride is really prevalent, usually it hides something called insecurity. A lot of people that, that come across like that are actually very, very insecure, and they need love. They need acceptance. Oftentimes, that comes out. You know, you've ever had those conversations with, you know, people that no matter what topic you bring up, they're the expert at everything. 
Uh-huh. And you're like, come on, like, and you bring up, like, the most odd, t- oh, yeah, well, you know, I went to, I have three degrees in that, and you should read my article on that, and blah, 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 and you're like, meh, 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 right? But oftentimes, this is such a big deal because it, it masquerades as pride, but oftentimes, the root of it is insecurity. And so when we understand the heart of humility that God wants us to have, we can see past that, we can see beyond that mask, and we can also be there to minister to those people. Um, And I will say this, when we're secure and confident in God, then we can walk in in a confidence that's not arrogance. We can walk in a walk of life where we know who we are. That's why we thought this song was so appropriate. God, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And so we don't have to put on a mask. Um, Pastor Ray did a message a while back about masquerades, right? We don't have to wear masks. How many of you are tired of that? When we truly come to God and we say, God, this is who you are. This is who I am. This is who you want me to be. Then we can be secure. And we can walk in humility. And that's the most beautiful thing when we as Christians walk in, sec- in security and humility. The other, why is, humility is also so important is because it's part of the very character of God. He's mighty and strong. He's able. He's powerful. He's awesome. He's all that. Yet, think about it. He chose to become a humble servant. He could have been born into the most beautiful, amazing palace, yet he chose a stable because he said, I haven't come to, to be served, but to serve. Now, I'll say this. Humility usually comes in one of two ways. Either you go to this, uh, I don't know if you knew. I, how many have been to Mandarin? Oh, oh, I'm telling you. When we when we moved to Kingston, we started praying right away. Lord, Kingston's great, but it's missing two essential things that are very essential for life. It's missing a Mandarin. And it's missing an Ikea. So we're, we got one down. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, the second one we're working on, right, James? So whenever you go to Ikea, make sure you put your postal code in so that they see how many people really need. So maybe you should buy one item at a time and then put your postal code in every time. And Okay. Anyhow, so I'm a little desperate. But anyhow, <laughs> so um, at the Mandarin, they have, they have this all-you-can-eat buffet. And how many have seen the dessert table? Woo! Yeah, I love it. Um, he loves it, too. But anyhow, humility can also come by going to God's great buffet table. And on that dessert table, there's a very special dessert. It's called humble pie. And if you don't choose to walk in humility by yourself, which God gives you the option to do, he will somehow, in some way, make sure that you walk by that dessert table and take a taste of that. So I want to say humility always comes into our lives, one of two ways. Either it can be brought about by God as an adjustment to something that we're doing wrong, an attitude that we're walking in that's not right. And how many of you do not enjoy humble pie? I'd rather have lemon meringue pie or blueberry crumble or strawberry rhubarb pie. I'm just putting out hints if anyone wants to drop dessert off at my house, so there you go. Um, Or what the Bible says is that we can actually clothe ourselves in humility. And trust me, it is the better option because I've tried both. And, uh, uh, but humility comes when we clothe ourselves with it. And then it's considered a strength. And it's considered a beautiful virtue that enables God, listen to this, to unlock things in your life. 
and to bring advancement to you. Because I'll say this, oftentimes, God wants to advance you. God wants to promote you. But he knows many times when we haven't clothed ourselves in humility, he knows that we may not be ready for that advancement. Because one of two things happen. Either we let it go to our head or, or you know, we just can't handle the pressure of what he's bringing. So oftentimes, God waits for us to literally clothe ourselves in humility, because he knows that when we walk in true humility, then we're ready for the next step that he has for you and for me. And how many want to be ready for everything that God has for you? And so the Bible says this in Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Clothe yourself. I'm intrigued by the original languages. So I went back and, and looked at what that means in the Greek. And do you know that clothing yourself actually means to sink into? And I don't know about you, but you know when you, you walk in like a marsh area and you're barefoot? I don't know if you've ever done that. But you know how you sink in to that and that gooey, nasty stuff gets all in between your toes and like all over. And you hear the as you walk along, right? Okay, yeah, you're with me? Okay. <laughs> Deep sermon this morning, I'm telling you. Um, but, uh, but think about what happens when you sink into something. It just, it comes around every part of, of your body or feet, whatever it is, right? But when God says, clothe yourself in humility, he says, sink into humility. Let it wrap around, uh, let it wrap itself around every part of who you are, around your actions, around your attitudes, around how you are, how you speak, the way you live, the way you make decisions, the way you view others, the way you view yourself. Wrap yourself, sink into the attitude of humility. Because I'm telling you, when we have a people, when the people of God truly learn to walk in humility, there will be a confidence that comes upon us out of that place of humility that will truly make us an army for God where nothing will be impossible. I want to thank you, James. So I want to define to you what humility is not. You don't have this on the screen, but just listen in. False humility is not true humility. And by false humility, I mean to think poorly of oneself. It means low self-esteem or feeling inferior. A lot of people kind of say, well, I'm just humble. But that's, that's not who God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be insecure. He doesn't want you to have low self-esteem. He doesn't want you to think worse of yourself. That's false humility. A false humility or what humility is not, it's also taking on, I would say, unnecessary attitudes of suffering that Christ already died for. I don't know if you know the old song. I grew up Pentecostal. Um, and there's an old song that says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Ryan, you're with me? Yeah, okay. So a few people recognize that song. It's, you know, a good thought. But the Bible actually says when you come out of the place of darkness in your life, when you are transferred out of the dominion of darkness and you come into the kingdom of the Son of God, you're no longer a sinner. You're actually called a saint. And the Bible says that you no longer have to work in the attitude of, of, you know, a humble, you know, punished slave. It says you're now a son and a daughter of the Most High. And so walking in humility is knowing who you are. It's knowing who you're not. But it's also knowing who you are. So low self-esteem is not a definition of biblical humility. And I can say this too. Don't take on things that Christ already died for. 
I've heard so many times growing up, you know, people that struggle with sickness or circumstances that are out of their control. And because they need a reason to explain it, can I say sometimes we don't just, we don't need to understand. Can I say that? We don't need to be able to explain everything. But oftentimes I've seen people that because they can't explain it, they say, well, I'm just, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Right? Well, at the end of the day, Jesus suffered for you so that you don't have to suffer for him. Now, there's a different kind of suffering called persecution. That's something completely different. But don't take on attitudes or sufferings for which Jesus already died. That's not true humility. And oftentimes that's, lack, that's based on a lack of understanding or a lack of faith or a lack of understanding the dealings of God. Lastly, what humility is not, it's not a condition of doom and gloom. Can I say this? Have you ever been around humble people that are always sad and depressed? Well, it's pretty depressing. Like, you know, the more you're around them, the more sad you feel. And all of a sudden you feel depressed, right? Well, that's not true humility. Um, Gospel humility, Jesus-exalting humility, does not make you gloomy or timid or passive. It makes you joyful, it makes you contagious, and it makes you industrious. That's the kind of humility that God wants to shape in our hearts. I saw a quote um, from C.S. Lewis, and I love it. I think someone (coughs) tweeted it, um, so you may have seen it. But it said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Can I say that again? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's, in essence, what true humility is like. Think about the story of Esther. We see a beautiful um, story in the book of Esther about her, really, the tension between humility and confidence, all wrapped up in the same woman. If you think of it, for those of you who don't know the story, she was uh, chosen as queen after the, the queen had the previous queen had been booted off the island. And so <laughs> Esther came into this, and uh, it, it was, that was the modern translation, by the way. Um, so Esther comes into the kingdom, and long story short, um, there is a, a man named Haman who hates Jews. She's Jewish. The king doesn't even know that she's a Jew. And so Haman, who hates Jews, especially her uncle Mordecai, um, makes this through, long story short, that he makes this the king make a decree that says literally that all Jews are to be killed, not realizing that it includes his own wife. And so Esther approaches this situation, and and she's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. At first, she's like, maybe I just do nothing. (laughs) See what happens, right? But Mordecai, her uncle, comes to her, and he says, Esther, think about this for a moment. Of all the virgins in the land, of all the people that could have been chosen, you were chosen to be in the palace for such a time as this. And what if we started thinking of ourselves that way? You've been chosen for such a time as this to live in Kingston, Ontario, to work in the workplace where you're at or the school where you're at for such a time as this because maybe destiny has been placed in your hands. Maybe you're supposed to be a game changer. And I'm telling you, we don't need doomed, gloomy Christians walking around thinking very poorly of themselves. We need confident Christians that walk in the humility, knowing that, God, I can do nothing in and of myself, nothing that I have. And think about this. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, which means whatever I have is not mine to start with. It's just a gift from God. 
So if I realize that everything that I have, everything that I can do is a gift from God, then I just reflect it back to him and give glory to him in whatever talent that he's given me. And so God has given you abilities and talents and gifts because he wants to use you. So don't sell yourself short. Don't be less than who he called you to be. But walking in true humility is saying, okay, God, you gave me this for a reason. So here I am, like the prophet Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. There's an old saying that that says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. All he wants from you is a surrendered heart that says, here I am, Lord. Use me. See, Esther could have relied on her youthful innocence because it says that she was chosen because she was kind of above others. But she didn't rely on her innocence or her beauty or even her precision as the queen. But when the time came, what she did is she prayed and fasted and sought God and said, God, how do you want me to do this? Completely relying upon God, not upon her, her position or her abilities. But she says, God, what do you want me to do? And so at the end of the day, what she does is she approaches the king. And if you knew the, the laws of Persia of the day, um, you were not supposed, even if you were the queen, what a marriage, huh? <laughs> I extend my scepter to you. Anyhow, don't get any ideas. So, but you couldn't even come before the king, even if you were his wife, if you hadn't been summoned. And so what she did when she came before the king to bring up this issue of, hey, Haman wants to kill all my people, um, she came without being invited, but she prayed, she sought God, and then she came in confidence and humility. And he extended his scepter to her, if you know the story, and, and said, okay, so what? Oh, my sweetheart, my sweet pea, what would you like? And so she, again, uses wisdom uses the the direction of God. She's seeking God. She's praying to God. And she's not coming arrogant and boastful and going, well, Hickman wants to kill me. (laughs) You know how we do that sometimes? (laughs) No one here, of course. Um, It only happens in my house. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) But she comes before the king and humbly she says, would you have dinner with me? And so she loves on him and she has this great, great big banquet. And, and long story short, if you don't know the story, at the end of it, all uh, the whole plot is revealed, and, and Haman is actually executed, and the Jews are protected. And so in the end, because Esther chose to walk with humility, grace, and confidence, not only did she spare her own life, but the life of her entire people. Who knows why God puts you where he puts you? Maybe there's something very significant that he wants to do, not just in you, but through you. Ultimately, humility is confidence in God rather than confidence in self. Because how many knows confidence in self usually fails (laughs) at some point, right? But confidence in God is what God wants us to walk in. And if I can just throw a little side note in here, the world doesn't understand this type of confidence. Oftentimes they will actually view that as arrogance because all they know, the only version they have of confidence is self-reliance, right? So think about this. Even Jesus, who was the most humble and amazing person, the, the best at it. I mean, he was the best person that walked in this balance of humility and confidence, right? But even him... He was tortured to death because he was accused of being arrogantly blasphemous. 
right? So when we start walking in the confidence that God has in us, sometimes it's misinterpreted and people go, well, they're arrogant. And sometimes if you, I'll say this, if you are the humblest outspoken witness for Jesus as the only way to God, you'll be called arrogant. If you live by the vintage virtues and hold and cling to the biblical values in your life, people won't always understand. But if we can clothe ourselves with the attitude of humility, then people will see that there's a greater purpose in you than your own advancement. And that catches the world's attention because there's very few people out there that don't live for themselves. So when you become, like Jesus said, when you start becoming each other's servants and when you start serving one another with love and humility and relentless love, then it catches attention. So there's three basic things we can learn about humility. Uh, And I'm actually taking this from Exodus chapter 10, verse 3. It's the first mention of the word humility in the Bible. And so I always like to go back and say, okay, what happened there? Because the first mention is always very important. And so it says this, So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For those of you who know the story, this is right in the midst of uh, when Moses and Aaron are coming before Pharaoh and trying to let the people of Israel go as they are slaves in Egypt at this time. But it's interesting to say, we can draw, um, without getting too much into that story, we can draw a couple of principles out of this passage because Moses and Aaron come and they're speaking on behalf of not themselves, not a good idea, but they're speaking on behalf of God as a God idea. And so they're coming and, and they're saying from the Lord, Lord, how long will you, Pharaoh, refuse to humble yourself before me? So my first point is that humility, the responsibility of humility is always on you, not on God. See how he's saying, Pharaoh, you need to humble yourself, not I'm going to humble you. But you need to humble yourself. Why do you refuse to humble yourself? See, sometimes we view humility as this supernatural bestowing of the Lord that descends upon us so that now I'm a humble person. But what what the Bible really says is it's on you to humble yourself. We need to clothe ourselves in that attitude. Number two uh, is that humility always has to do with your position before God, not people. If we truly grasp that, it's a very, very freeing concept. Because at the end of the day, we do so much based on what other people are going to think, right? Or not think, or how they're going to view us, or how they're going to accept us. But if we understand, like, like the Lord spoke to Pharaoh and said, humble yourself before me. Who cares if it doesn't make sense to the rest of the Egyptian kingdom? But you need to humble yourself before me. God is saying the same thing to you and to me today, that you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Because when we do and we truly humble ourselves and accept that and clothe ourselves in the attitude of humility, then what starts to happen is that we shift away from a me perspective to a him perspective. And when we truly start to live with a God perspective, guess what happens? The way I start to view you and you and you is very different. As humans, we tend to always compare ourselves with others, right? 
So we feel good about ourselves as long as we're not as bad as that person, right? I know no one here has ever done that, but um, for the rest of humanity out there, many times they just have this little goal that as long as I'm better than them, then I'm doing okay. And God actually says, don't compare yourselves with others. Instead, come straight to me. Go straight to God. So the attitude of humility is something that we do before God because when we do, he transforms our thinking. And the way, if you say, Jesus, help me to view myself, help me to view those around me with your perspective. And then life is no longer about what I can get, what I can gain, what I can do, what I can accomplish. It's about God. What can you do in me? What can you do through me? What is it that you want me to say? Even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else around you, even if people would think, well, that was the dumbest decision ever. Sometimes God changes people's path completely. And, and sometimes people question that and go, well, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. For example, Cameron's brother, I have utmost respect for his older brother who's worked at the Ministry of Finance for years. And so they've offered him promotions many times. And uh, he has a special needs child at home who's almost eight. And so Craig, Cameron's brother, again and again will respond to them and say, thank you for the offer. But I'm a dad first. With that promotion comes more pressure, more time. It may be more money, but he said, I don't need more money. I need more time with my son. You know, sometimes when we walk in humility, what, what has God spoken to Craig, Cameron's brother, about? About being a good dad. About being there for his children. About being a constant in little Casey's life. So that he can grow up. Even though he may have some challenges at school, he comes home to a mom and a dad who love him. And he's secure because they are constantly pouring their guts out for this little guy, giving every help possible. But you could look at Craig and go, well, don't you want more money? Don't you want the title? Don't you want the promotion? See, sometimes the decisions we make out of humility before God and obedience to him may not make sense to the world. But when you're confident in God, and you know who you are in God, it doesn't matter. Because you know that what I'm looking for is for the Father to be pleased with me. I don't know about you, but I want to get to the end of my days. And I don't want to get a pat on the back and, oh, you, you had a good title, or, or you uh, did uh, great accomplishments. You know what I want to hear at the end of my days? I want God to be able to look at me and say, well done. You good and you faithful servant. And if God calls me to be a pastor, then I'm going to pastor to the best of my ability. If God calls me to be a janitor, I'm going to clean toilets to the best of my ability. Because what I want is I want to please my daddy. I don't live to please myself or to impress others. And the sooner we get that, the more beautiful the fellowship that we have each other will become because we drop the competition. Is it okay to be real this morning? Because humility goes way in here, and it changes us. Third thing is this. The response of humility is a servant's heart, because it's the opposite of pride. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45. And when we jump into the story, um, they're walking down the road, and the disciples are arguing with each other. Uh, about who's the greatest and who's going to have the best position in the eternal kingdom of God. And, and, you know, they do what humans do. They discuss it. And then when Jesus addresses it, it's actually a little bit humorous. They're like, it was James and John. 
It was their fault. Why are you doing that? What? How dare you talk like that, James and John? Right? But they were all talking, right? But it's nice to blame someone else, right? So we're jumping right into this story, and, and Jesus says, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, ah, uh, uh, we were talking about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and what about it? And so he, he, of course, knows what they talked about. So if, um, verse 42 says, Jesus called them together and said, You know what those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the call of humility right there. It's to serve others. And you know what often happens? As you serve others, God starts unlocking things in your life and bringing you into greater places of things that you would have never dreamed of. But oftentimes, there's this little lock that we hold on to, and we hold on to that key real tight because we're afraid of truly humbling ourselves. But it's the most freeing thing you could ever do. Look at the progression of the Apostle Paul. And he, I mean, if anyone had a right to brag about having knowledge and degrees and, and all this stuff, it would have been Paul. He was very, very knowledgeable. But the more he was in the ministry, the longer he spent serving people, the more his perspective of himself changed. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. It says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's recognizing that I'm not an apostle because I'm worthy. I'm an apostle only because God called me. I'm not even worthy to be called one. Yet Paul, of anyone, walked in complete confidence if you read all his letters. But he knew that before God, it was only the gift of God on his life. That made that possible. And then you go five years later and you look at what he wrote to uh, the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 8. Now he's going from calling himself the least of the apostles. And then look at what he says here. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, his grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at what he's doing. He's saying, I'm the less than the least of all the saints. I'm not worthy of this, but through the grace of God, he has called me to preach to the Gentiles. See, Paul knew who he was. And when he was challenged, he would defend the faith like no one's business. But he knew before God that everything he had was through the grace of God. So is true humility possible? And if so, what does it look like? I want to just quickly go uh, to Philippians chapter 2 and land there. Verse 3 to 4 says this. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourselves as... um, Sorry, I'm like thinking of yourselves. That doesn't make sense. I have to stop. (laughs) Wait, that's not the Bible. (laughs) Thinking of others, others, others being the important word right there. It's others. 
um, them better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Very, four very simple steps that we can draw out of these scriptures. Four keys to walking in humility. First of all, it says it so plainly, don't be selfish. Can we just like land there? You know, we, we spend so much time teaching our kids not to be selfish, yet how many can say that maybe there's a little bit of work that we need to? And kids are actually an amazing mirror of that. <laughs> you know, it's great how they <clears throat> reflect your weaknesses sometimes. But anyhow, uh, moving right along. But it says very simply, don't be selfish. Another translation says, don't do, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. In other words, don't be self-centered. We talk in our house about being we-centered, not me-centered. It's not about me, 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 me. It's about moving and shifting your focus from being self-centered to, first of all, focusing on God, but also on those around us. Number two, do not try to impress others. Hello. Isn't that what our culture is basically based on these days? And the Bible frees us. Don't worry about impressing others. The only one that you have to worry about impressing is God. Don't try to impress others. Uh, Another um, version says, do nothing out of vain conceit. Vain conceit means excessive pride in yourself. Don't do things out of that place. Don't seek glory for yourself. Number three, think of others as better than yourself. Think of others as better than yourself. See the great value in others. Um, We talk sometimes about seeing the seed of greatness in someone. But you know that a seed in order to grow is buried below dirt. And oftentimes all we see is the dirt. And we forget that underneath there, God has placed a great seed of greatness in every single person. So see the seed of greatness in others. Think of others as better than yourself. And number four, take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for your own interests, but balance the needs of others with your own needs. If I can say this, some of the most healing things is when you can help somebody else, right? When you can minister to someone else, where you can be there for someone else and give to someone else. And in the midst of it, you just, sometimes you just forget about your own (laughs) little problem. Or sometimes God, just because you're pouring yourself out to others, he's just strengthening you, energizing you, sometimes healing you from your very issue because he wants you to have everything that you need to reach others. It's the most beautiful thing. If we can get those four simple things, it is so simple yet so profound. Think about this. Humility serves. Humility gets down and lifts other people up. Humility looks at the needs of others and gives time and effort to help those with needs. Humility measures everything it does by whether it serves God and the good of other people. At the end of the day, am I feeding my own ego? Or am I feeding the faith of others? That's true humility. Humility, at the end of the day, is complete surrender to God. And we talk about this all the time, but if we learn to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, then we would transform the city. Listen to what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Think about all the things we cling to. We cling to our rights. We cling to our ego. We cling to our privilege. We cling to our, our whatever it is. And it says Jesus didn't cling to that. He could have, he could have decided to keep his divinity. Yet he didn't cling to that. But he came instead. Verse 7 says, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. True humility is being obedient to God. It's nothing more complicated than that. Be obedient to God and then everything else will follow, regardless of if that's cool with others or not. Obedience to God is the greatest form of humility. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He set the example. And all we need to do is to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And the more we do that, the more humility will become the clothing that we sink into every day. I just want to end with a story. And worship team, if you actually want to come back, um, I just want to end with, with one song. But let me read this story to you. Um, his name is Bill. He has wild hair, wears a T-shirt with holes in it, jeans, and no shoes. This is literally his wardrobe for his entire four college years. He is, uh, he, he is kind of esoteric and very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a church, the members of which are all well-dressed and very conservative. They want to develop a ministry to students, but aren't sure how to do it. One day, Bill decides to visit this church. He walks in wearing his jeans, his t-shirt, wild hair, and no shoes, and starts down the center aisle looking for a place to sit. The church is completely packed, and he can't find a seat. The members look a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer to the pulpit. And he realizes that there's no seats left. And when he realizes that there's nowhere to sit, he just sits down on the carpet. By now, the members are really uptight and tension fills the air. Everyone's waiting for someone to do something. Where is that usher? (laughs) Can't they take care of this? Then from the back of the church, a deacon slowly makes his way toward Bill. Now in his 80s, the deacon has silver-gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. He's a godly man, very elegant, very dignified, very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he heads toward Bill, all the members are saying to themselves, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and background to understand a college kid on the floor? It takes a very long time for the old man to get down the aisle. All eyes are focused on him, and the church is utterly silent. The minister can't even begin preaching until the deacon does what he has to do. And when he reaches the front, the congregation watches as he, with great difficulty, lowers himself and sits down next to Bill. So that is not alone. After gathering himself, the preacher says, what I'm about to preach, you'll never remember. But what you've just seen, you'll never forget. When we allow Jesus to transform our hearts, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. We will live to love others.
and to serve others and to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 